I'll, so you don't like dark humor? All right, then I'll do one more dark humor joke. I'll bet, I'll bet if you drive off a cliff, the whole time that you're in the air, you are just pressing on that brake pedal. Hey, buddy, better try the emergency brake. So to be a disciple of Jesus requires that one understands the culture in which we follow Jesus. To make disciples of Jesus requires that we understand the context in which we attempt to make disciples of Jesus. And I want to argue that the same factors, the same forces, the same powers that be that operated at the time of the apostles, that operated at the time of Abraham the patriarch, that operated all the way back at the outset of human civilization are exactly operating here and now today. So that we don't have new answers for people. We have very old answers for people. In fact, our answer is a person. The reason that joke's funny is because none of that stuff really matters, does it? Not talking about the car off the cliff joke, talking about the die a heretic joke. None of that stuff matters, does it? You can find Catholics that love Jesus. You can find Baptists that love Jesus. You can find Episcopalians that love Jesus. You can find Methodists and Mennonites and Pentecostals and Anglicans that love Jesus. In fact, you can go into any of those church services anywhere on planet Earth today, and they basically look different, dress different, walk different, eat different. They sing different. They preach different. They enter the church different. But you know, they worship the exact same God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Read the same New Testament. Pray the same, our Father who art in heaven. Confess sins to the same Savior, are cleansed by the same blood, are raised up and seated in heavenly places by the same resurrection, anointed and filled and sealed and marked as an authentic child of God by the same Spirit, looking forward to the same hope that one day... Our Jesus will return with a loud trumpet call and a shout of an archangel and all the dead are going to rise. Same hope. We believe that. They believe that. I found Christians believe a lot of different things, but not on stuff that really matters much. But when everyone was Christian, supposedly, the only game in town was try to get people to come to your buffet instead of their buffet. Only The only game in town was to get, get people to come to your church and not to their church and to show why our church is right and your church is wrong and our denomination's right and your denomination's wrong. But I think we're at a time and in a place where we've almost returned back to the original context in which the gospel was born, where paganism is what's normal now, where truth is whatever group You are in. It's their story. That's what makes that true for them. I think we've returned to a multicultural, multi-truth, pluralistic, every man for himself. You speak your truth, girl. I think we've returned to this kind of chaos. To where someone 
who just stands in the Christian tradition and says the same thing we've been saying from day one, that the faith that's been handed down to us, that we didn't invent, we didn't add anything to it. We just keep standing in this tradition, saying the same thing because our encounter with the Jesus the tradition is about is real. And he's every bit as good and every bit as alive and every bit as relevant to every heart as he's ever been. So our gospel is not even really a set of propositions, although we make propositions. Our gospel is not a set of doctrines, although, God help us, we need really good doctrine. But we don't put our faith in our doctrines. We put our faith in a person our doctrines are about. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says, when I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. I didn't use lofty words or wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus, the Messiah, and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling, and my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so that you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. This is the word of the Lord. Paul says, when I came to you guys, all, I, I know a lot of stuff. Paul's like an intellectual. He could have made arguments. He could have quoted the philosophers. He could have quoted the poets. He could have referenced science. He could have done the anthropological work. He could have used all sorts of intellectual argumentation designed to confront their dominant worldview. But he says, look, I'm going to put all the stuff I could do over here. And I'm just going to bring you a very simple message that says, God loves you. God loves you. Jesus is the proof. Receive his love. And you go, Jesus is the proof. What do you mean? The cross is the I love you of the Father. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul asked them, Who bewitched you? Who put a hex on you? What stinking witch has cast a spell on you and made you believe in sanity? I remember watching Aladdin. Jafar casts a spell, and then, and then, uh, what's his name? The king, Jasmine's, the, the fat man. His eyes go wonky, and they start spinning, and he just does what he's told. And Paul says, who has cast a spell on you? Who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Christ Jesus was portrayed as crucified. Now, does that mean they put on like a, a, a passion play? Does that mean they literally brought a wooden cross up and someone wasn't playing the part of Jesus and they, and they did the passion play? Is that what Paul means? I doubt it. I think what he means is in my proclamation to you guys, I, my message, my, my proclamation, my explanation, my preaching, what I was announcing to you guys was that Jesus is the I love you of the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. First John 5. If you have the Son, 
you have life. If you don't have the Son, you don't have life. Paul says to the Galatians, I just, don't you remember? I pre- in my preaching, all I preached was a crucified Christ. You saw him so clear. And because you saw him so clear and received, boom, the Spirit worked. One of the fundamental truths of human nature is idolatry. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's what you were made for. And your heart's an altar. I I one time had this terrible vision where I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit and there's various layers and levels in the temple, right? There's the outer courts and you come in here and certain people are allowed in, not everyone. There's a wall to keep the enemies out of the city. You allow people into the city who are friendly But then as you get closer to the ark, you get concentric circles where less and less people are allowed in. And then you get to the holy of holies where the ark is, and there's only one person allowed in once a year. And when he gets in there, he's freaked out. They tied a rope around his foot, put a bell on him. It's a big deal. If the bell stops ringing, drag him out. He's dead. He screwed up. And I don't know if... We've lost touch with the weight of goodness, what goodness really costs a human. I don't know. We, we, we're glib and cavalier in the presence of a holy, transcendent God whom we should fear. Whoever you fear most, you worship as God. Whatever you seek most, you worship as God. Whatever you think about most, you worship as God. Whatever you draw your identity from most, you worship as God. Whatever you delight in the most and is most beautiful to you, you worship as God. Whatever gets your attention the most, you worship as God. You're a temple. In the holy of holies. My wife's not allowed in there, by the way. There's one face in there. It's the face of Jesus in between the two cherubim over the Ark of the Covenant. It's his throne on my heart. It's the face of my Savior, and that face has expressions on it, honestly, based on what I'm doing. I don't believe in a Jesus who is permanently delighted in me because I'm just so amazing. Get a clue. The God of the Bible, I'm in a state of grace, but in that state of grace, I relate to a God who is emotionally responsive and interactive. He can be pleased. He can be displeased. Just because the cross happened doesn't mean God has no emotions but feeling happy. See, I don't believe he poured out all of his wrath on the cross and now he only has had a frontal lobotomy by it. I, in fact, don't even think the cross was primarily about punishing sin. I think the cross was about defeating the power of sin and death. I was completely sick with sin, headed to death. And I was an enemy of God. And you go, well, how could a loving God even create a world in which that's possible? And I would say, well, he wanted kids. There was no other way to get kids who were actually free to make a choice unless we were also free to make a wrong choice. 
Have you ever thought about what's possible for God? Well, all things are possible for God. Not really. It's not possible that God should lie. Are you with me? I mean, I just said something that sounds wrong, doesn't it? No, all things are possible. Can he make a square triangle? No, you're stupid. Can he microwave a burrito so hot that even he can't eat it? No, because it's still frozen in the center. There are some things that are impossible for God. It's impossible that he violate his own nature. It's impossible he do something unloving. Now, I think what they mean when they say all things are possible for God is scientifically. Oh, man, think about this. Well, says this Bart Ehrman guy who used to be a Christian scholar as a New Testament teacher, and then he decided, eh, screw that, I'd rather go to hell. So he just left Christianity behind. And now he argues that Jesus isn't real, and he was just made up, and it's a fiction, and the resurrection is faked, and the Bible's full of contradictions and errors, and faith is just pie in the sky and the sweet by and by. It's the opiate of the masses, and Christians are dumb. I shouldn't mock. Let me calm that down. (sighs) Calm it down. Humble and gentle. Because mocking is a bad strategy. It's not helpful. (laughs) No, actually, you know what mocking reveals? Mocking reveals that truth is an idol for me. That I identify myself as a good person because I'm right. And if it's an idol, if truth is an idol for you, then you'll be willing to mock those who disagree with you. You can always see what your idols are because your idols make you a slave. It's whatever you, whatever is in control of you reveals now that's an idol. I didn't even finish my story. Let's finish this story and then we'll finish some of the other stories that I didn't finish. But I'm not ADD. Don't even think that. Oh, look, a, a squirrel. So Bart Ehrman says, well, the reason that Jesus wasn't raised from the dead is that there are no such thing as miracles, therefore, vis-a-vis, ergo, concurrently. That's not a word, by the way. I just made it up, concurrently. Jesus can't be raised because there are no such things as miracles. How could there be things as miracles? God would be violating his own nature if there were miracles because he can't violate his own laws, can he? Can two plus two equal four? No, therefore, as you just said, Tim, God can't make square triangles or microwave that burrito too hot for him to eat. Therefore, Jesus can't be raised from the dead because then he would be violating his own laws. Bro, that's a category confusion. Math isn't laws. It's just me observing that if you have two of these and you add a couple more, then you count them up, it's a four. Those things aren't obeying a mathematical law. It's just, the math is just describing a reality. It's not a law. And saying that God has created laws of nature is the same thing. He hasn't created laws of nature. Nature works a certain way. We make certain statements about it that happen to be accurate most of the time, called laws. The laws have no causal relationship to the things. I'm getting off track. Let's go back and finish the other story. No, don't. Don't distract me further. I'm already trying to figure it out. So one day I'm praying. Just tying off that right there. 
one day I'm praying and I'm picturing myself like a temple. Remember, we're all temples of the Holy Spirit. Something's in the Holy of Holies of your heart. Something is worship. Something is sought. Something is reverence. You're drawing identity from something. You're drawing meaning from something. Every one of us, I don't care what you believe, something has the, has the place of transcendence. Something defines you. And I'm in there of the Holy of Holies. I go in there and I can see my wife's not in there and she doesn't belong in there, by the way. That means if she and I are having a bad day, that shouldn't destroy me. Because she's not my God. That means if she dies before me, that'll hurt me like crazy. But it won't utterly crush me unless she's got that position in my life. And I go in there and I see a person's face who is not Jesus. And he says, you ever try to put into words what God didn't really say as much as show in a second and it takes 30 minutes to unpack what he showed you in a second and then you say, and he said, and then you're like, I feel like you're lying because he didn't really say anything, but you understood it all in a moment. That. I saw a face that wasn't his face in the Holy of Holies of my heart and I realized, oh my word, my efforts to save that person my efforts to make sure that person was going to be okay weren't just codependent. Because you're like patting yourself on the back. I'm a good friend. I'm so helpful and sensitive. I'm going to live down all the bad example of those men who were bad. I'm going to be that good guy. I'm going to redeem an entire gender. No, you're not. So if they're not okay, then I got to figure out how to make them okay. I'm working so hard to make sure they're okay. And if you'd said, is that wrong? I would have said, that's love. But that was certainly not how Jesus defined love. Do you know in all the breakdowns in your life, Jesus didn't feel responsible? And all the church splits y'all went through over the years. I'm not even saying I know anything about this, but if you know Christians, they've been involved in a church split if they've been longer than like five years. I've been involved in three. Never been a part of a church that didn't split. And if we were in a Pentecostal church, I'd say, hallelujah. Because then they went on to greater things. Maybe they didn't. Maybe it just sucked. Maybe it's just sad. And maybe we're allowed to cry about it instead of always put that positive sales spin on it. But it's got to be for the best. One day, and I don't see how yet, that's supposed to be surprising. The hope's supposed to be surprising a little, not like glib sloganeering. So I, I realized that I had put a friend in this place in my heart reserved only for Jesus. I was made for him. I was, do you know how much I was made for him? 13.9 billion years ago. Before he even said, let there be. His intention, according to Ephesians chapter 1, was for Tim to be his kid. And he had it all figured out how he was going to do it. He was going to do it by redeeming me through Jesus. Because he already saw that I was going to fall 
away from him and become his enemy. So he took that into account, forgave me beforehand, planned, Jesus said, I'll go, Father. They planned the incarnation, rescue mission, redemption of Tim Miller so that he took my sin, my death on himself, and I I was in him when he died, so I died in him, and I was in him when he rose, so I rose in him, and I'm in him now that he's ascended, and I'm seated with Christ at the right hand of God, and the real me is hid with Christ in God, Colossians. I just quoted like Ephesians, Colossians, probably a couple other verses. Before he created, in Christ you were chosen. Before the foundation of the world, before anything was even made. And you you go, well, the word before, technically, Tim, there's no such thing as before. (laughs) Because time is actually an attribute of matter and space, you dolt. That's why God is present to all time, because he's present to all space. And he's not bound by these limitations. You're such a child. (laughs) Well, I know that, but it's boring. So don't say it. But that's, that's, I was made for him. In Colossians 1.15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn from all creation. By him, all things were made, things visible and invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities. Everything was made by Jesus and for Jesus and in Jesus. Everything holds together. And he was the firstborn from the dead. So he's the first of the new humans that don't even die and can apparently walk through walls and float around at will. And yet, what does he do as soon as he shows up in his glorified body? John 21, they're in the boat. He's on the shore. What's he doing? He's on his knees cooking around a fire and he made homemade bread. (laughs) Take that, gluten-free people. I see these signs and they're like, free gluten, and I get excited, and then I realize it's just the slistexic moment, and there's no gluten at all. I was made for him. You were made for him. One time I had a, a friend at the gas station. He said, dinosaurs, that's not how he talked, but we're just going to embellish, because I'm the one talking. I've got the mic, and he's not here. <laughs> dinosaurs were created by the devil. And their bones was placed down on the ground to convince people not to believe in the Lord. Dinosaurs are a demonic invention designed to get people to believe in evolution. I believe in evolution. I just think Jesus did it that way. You think it takes less faith for me to believe that he took a long time to build something and he wasn't trying to fool the scientists? And you have much stronger faith because he did it in a hurry. And we both think he did it. And we both believe Genesis 1 and 2. I'm allowed to believe what I want. And you're allowed to believe what you want. And we're allowed to still be friends. That's what I told my wife. (laughs) And then she said, yeah, but you seem arrogant about it. (laughs) And I was like, well, it's hard not to be when you're this good looking. So... Some of that story might have been made up. You were made for Jesus. So my friend says, I think that the devil created dinosaurs so people would believe in evolution. I'm like, it's tempting to just be like, bro, that's dumb, but that's not helpful. You want to give the devil creative power to make dinosaurs, really? Next you're going to tell me he created liberals. Liberals. 
Oh, you do already believe that. Okay, my bad. I didn't mean to jump the gun. You do believe that. Okay. Okay. So here's what I said to my friend. I said, I, I said, let's, let's just, let me read you some Bible. Turn over to Colossians 1. It says, Jesus created all things, things visible and invisible. Here was my question. You already know what the question was. Are dinosaurs visible or invisible? And he's like, dang it. Because he already know, visible. So did Jesus create them? Oh, yeah, you're right. Another woman in the gas station, she's like, well, Adam and Eve couldn't go 10 minutes without eating from the fruit of that tree, which we all know is sex. <laughs> How are you people able to function in society? You tie your shoes, you drive a car, apparently you're allowed to just have kids and pay taxes. Did you know? I'm like, woman, let, let me tell you what the first command in the Bible was. The first commandment in the Bible was, let's get it on. <laughs> the only command, it's like the first command. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Extend the borders and boundaries of this Eden. This Eden is a temple where the Lord's glory dwells. You know why they was naked and didn't notice? They was clothed in the glory of God. It's a theory. Yeah, I said naked. I didn't say naked. That's gross. What's wrong with you? But they were clothed in the glory. In the glory. In the, in the Eden, they had cultivated. It was their job. It was their, they had work to do. Oh, but work's a product of the fall. That's why we got to get up and never day and get to dang work. Oh, my life's bad. Well, maybe you just have the wrong job. Because I was, they were made for work. They were made for the glory. They were made for the presence. They was made for sex. They was made for food. There was harmony and equilibrium, but there was chaos. And they weren't all that mature. Irenaeus says, God didn't create them perfect. Or they wouldn't have fallen. Perfect means complete or mature. They weren't created mature. Uh, let me pronounce that the way that I do when I want to frustrate my wife. Mature. And she's like, ew. It's mature. Adam and Eve weren't created perfect. They were created innocent. Difference, right? Innocence means you're not perfect, but nobody's holding it against you. We knew grace at the beginning. We were born in a state of grace. We had the glory surrounding us, and God wasn't judging us. He alone had the knowledge of good and evil. But when we ate from the fruit of the tree, which wasn't sex, give me a break. When we ate from the fruit of the tree, the, that which uniquely belonged to God, and we were only supposed to know in relationship, face-to-face -face union, because that was a temple, and we were made to be temples of the Holy Spirit. But when that thing came inside of us, that understanding, that knowledge, now separated from God, we can make our own judgments. And the first thing we judge... Uh-oh, whoa. Gross. You don't like being with me, do you? Do you this dress make me look fat? She said right away. And they've been saying it ever since. Does this, how do I look? And the correct answer, gentlemen, is, woman, spin. Take a spin. You don't just look good. You look dang good. And you have to mean it, by the way. Because there's this thing called discerning of spirits. <laughs> 
And if you're just being polite, she will know. <laughs> well, you looked better earlier in the, in the life. Uh, no, stop it. I'll tell you the truth. When I look at my wife, she's 45. And I can't figure out why she keeps looking prettier and prettier every time you add another decade. It's weird. I don't understand it. I, I don't, I'm just not sure. Is it me? Am I taking crazy pills? Because I really think it's true. But anyway, okay. We were made to be temples of the glory of the Lord with work to do and a man or woman by your side. That's the original garden picture. How did we get to the idea that the goal of life is restrain as, as much sin as you can so that you doesn't make your life too bad, but still hold out some room for sin because you got to have some fun. And then, but, but if you believe, then you get to go to heaven later, which is going to be super great because it's not hell. But what's going to be great about it? I don't know. There's some babies with harps and crap. I don't know. As long as it's not hell. Weird, right? I think we need an upgrade into this whole Jesus thing. In John chapter 17, I was just reading this this last week. He says that the glory he shared with the Father before the creation, he was now returning to the Father to enjoy more of that. And that he says that the Father loved him before the creation. So whatever he was doing before he took on flesh, lived as one of us and faced temptation in every way just like we do, but overcame and loved his father completely and relied on his father completely and didn't trust the opinion of anyone except his father, which you could learn from that. That's helpful. Now he's returning to the father, having completed all the assignments the father gave him. And now, guess what? The glory he shared with the father beforehand, he has given us the glory so that we could be in him. He could be in us and that we would be one and we would know this. And now he said his spirit on us and we're headed somewhere. Where are we headed? The same place he came from. I don't think it's fat, naked babies floating around with harps. And I praise God, I'm so excited to tell you guys it's not an endless church service. Because I like when church dismisses. I don't care how good it is, how many miracles happened, how much glory there was, how much adrenaline. I don't care. Like Rusty at church, one of the elders, he says, stack them up. I don't know what he's referring to. The people who have fallen under the power of the Lord, I don't know what he's talking about, but I love it. But I don't care how good church is, I'm happy for it to be over. Because I got some living to do. Because originally in the garden, there was no religion. There was no place you had to take an animal. There were no sacrifices you had to make. Eden was the original, the garden, and we were the temples. And guess who's the temple in the New Jerusalem at the end of the book? It's you. No more sacrifices because the lamb's already been slain. You don't even need sun or moon. The source of everything is him. Am I supposed to stop at some point? This week, don't ask that in a charismatic church. They'll tell you to go till 3 p.m. No, you got to end when people want you to keep going. That's the trick to get people to want to come back. If you end after everyone's praying for to die, you know, give me cancer now, God, please. Then you went too long. You want to end when they want to still keep going. I read this this week. St. Augustine, a bishop in North Africa, he was black. Sometimes you got to remind us that 
Christianity is not white. Jesus isn't even white, for crying out loud. No, I'm the outsider of this faith. I'm a Gentile, for crying out loud. It's just like, I, I, I don't even know how I got in here. I was worshiping Thor and who knows what all in the woods with my Druidism and whoop, I don't know. I just, here I am. What happened? I don't know. How, how did I get here? I'm Jewish by faith. It's a weird thing. What was I talking about? Augustine, North Africa. When he was still wrestling with sin, when he was still trying to figure out if he could make Jesus his all, when he was still trying to figure out how do I do this? How do I actually love God? Am I willing to love God? This is going to cost. See, because we got this cheap discipleship thing where it's so easy to get in that people get false conversions. They get inoculated against the faith. They go and they have their little COVID shots and then they still get COVID three times. But then they say that it would have been worse without it. And the mask definitely helped. So you should wear it at the beach. Don't do it, Tim. Stop. It's over. Let it go. It's over, Tim. Let it go. Oh, man, I think my favorite thing about the pandemic was seeing men at the supermarket wearing panties on their head and stuff because they're they like, I didn't have a mask. I didn't have a mask. And like, you don't have to do that. You don't have to get, get a handkerchief. You're an old man. You have a handkerchief. You know, the thing white people do where they blow snot into a rag and then put it in their pocket again. My dad said that I told him that like 15 years ago and it changed his perception of handkerchiefs forever. After that, he was like, that is gross. I've been doing this my whole life. What else, what else is wrong with us as a species that we just unquestionably... Augustine. So I'm reading in Augustine. He's trying to figure out, how do I make this decision to be really a disciple of Jesus? And I think that's good to wrestle with it. Here's how we lead people to Jesus. Have you ever sinned? You did? Well, going to go to hell if you don't pray this prayer. And that's all that's required because it's by faith. And faith doesn't mean trusting a person entirely and staking your whole life on it. No, 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 no. That would be works. Faith means temporarily agreeing with an idea I stated to you one time. Being willing to nod your head briefly while I say words over you, then put a notch on my belt. You go home and go straight to hell, and I go to church feeling great. A better way would be to say to people, I think you should take a couple weeks off of work. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John over and over while you fast and get to know this person, Jesus, because we're talking about you rearranging your entire life around allegiance to him as the Lord of your life. So that would be what I would counsel you. Take a couple weeks off of work, rent a cabin in the woods, don't eat food for at least three, four days of that. Read about this Jesus of history who is a real person with real opinions, who is really Lord. And you don't get to make him up based on a feeling I had one time in a service. You get to submit to the faith handed down as objective reality. Get to know this Jesus. Figure out what will have to change and how much it's going to cost for you to rearrange your life. Yeah, then, with some godly people who have fruit in their life praying for you, I need you to seriously enter into this prayer with sincerity and humility, and then there should be some kind of public ceremony. I don't know, maybe we should even have a burial service for your old life and a birth service for your new life. Let's call it mm, baptism. Yes. And after that time, you're no longer having sex with your girlfriend who doesn't live in your house anymore unless one of the things you decided to do was marry the girl. 
And from then on, you're now living awake and aware, no longer living your life how most Americans do, even Christian Americans, self-medicating away the things we hate about ourselves instead of facing them and owning them and repenting of them. It's so American to create a story in which the problem with my life is what somebody else did or didn't do, or something in the distant past in my childhood that's just, I'll never be able to be over it. It's not about that. It's about how it's affecting your current beliefs and behavior. You got burned by a dragon. You're going to hide from the dragon the rest of your life, play video games, look at porn? Or are you going to grow up? So Augustine, while he's wrestling through this process, hears the father say, I am the food of grown men. I am the food of grown men. If you're a grown woman, you can still want to eat the food of grown men and not be offended by it. I am the food of grown men. And then this is what God says. When you eat earthly food, you take it in and then you transform it into your nature. But when you eat me, you take me in and it transforms you into my nature. Jesus said, John chapter 6, I am the bread of God that came down from heaven, which a man might eat and never die. And they go, prove, (laughs) prove to us. Moses gave us bread from heaven. Moses gave us miracles. Prove to us. They didn't want, they just want, this was after the miraculous multiplication of food the day before. And they wanted more. I want more. Can I have more? Free stuff. Black Friday. Break the doors of the Best Buy and stomp on that dude's head to get that TV. (laughs) And Jesus is like, are you serious right now, you guys? Instead of just running after food that spoils for your body, can you understand how I'm able to do these things? Can you read deeper? The flesh can only achieve this, but the Spirit gives life. Can you dig a little deeper? I'm the bread of God. He's the source of every person you've ever met. He made them. He sustains them. Bart Ehrman, the guy I mentioned earlier, the molecules of his mind that sustain his rational thought, the light in his eyes, is a gift given and sustained moment by moment by a Jesus who delights in him and treasures him and loves him. There's no secular world. There is no secular world. There's no space left over for any part of the creation that isn't full of the beauty and glory and holiness of Jesus. So when you look at a dolphin or a, shoot, a butterfly, a a common robin, how about this? A flower that grows up in your yard, which you consider a weed. Have you ever thought about how much money people would be willing to pay for a dandelion if there was only five of them on the planet? I mean, how much money would people be willing to pay for a dandelion if there was only five of them? And I'm pretty sure Jesus makes them all one at a time. G.K. Chesterton says that it's possible that every single morning God says to the sun, wake up, rise. And every night he says, now go to sleep. It's possible that God says to every little daisy, bloom, open. Every sunflower, follow the sun. It's possible that God does this every single morning and every single night, and even though it's repetitious, he never gets old for him because he has the eternal appetite of infancy. And little kids, when you go, boo, they go, ha, 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 
And about the fifth time, the kid's like, this is still fun. And the adult's like, is it mom's turn? And he says, the reason God never gets bored and we do is because our father has the eternal appetite of infancy. We have sinned and grown old and our father is younger than we are. Like our gospel is really a person. We have doctrines, but our gospel is a person. And when Paul came to Corinth, he says, I'm going to stick to the person of Jesus. Now among the mature, I have a message of wisdom. So there is deep stuff. There is smart stuff. There is intellectual stuff. But the Spirit of God doesn't move based on how smart the preacher is. The Spirit of God doesn't move based on how spiritually gifted the congregation is. The Spirit moves on the simple message of a beautiful God who looks just like Jesus dying on the cross. God has all power. And if, if power was what we really needed, guys, if power was the problem, because I know we, we charismatics, we want more power. Yeah. We're upset that he wired the house at 120. Why couldn't he wire it in three phase? I've got to have more power. But can you imagine if power was the problem? Then God could just show up in glory like he did on the mountain in Exodus 19, and he could just smoke and fire and thunder and trumpets. He did that. You know what happened? People wet themselves and then fell over, and nobody wanted to go up and meet with God. That's what happened. People go to church to avoid God. Just like we pay our taxes to avoid dealing with our government. Religion is what we do to give God what we feel we need to give him to get him off our back so we can get on with carving out enough time and space hopefully left over to really have some kind of a good life. So power doesn't work. So what he does on the cross is he shows his weakness instead. Isn't it interesting? God's power is so intimidating, we run away. But God's humility is so beautiful at revealing his real character and heart that it attracts all people to him. As Jesus said, I'm like the snake on the pole in the wilderness that when Moses lifted it up and they were all dying and they looked at it, whoever looked at it instantly was healed. It's the heart of the humble father. So there's Jesus, post-resurrection, serving. It was love that kept him on the cross when he could have, he could have left. It's love that he's operating by right now at all, at all times. He's largely restrained himself. I have friends that are, uh, shall we say, Calvinist. So a Calvinist believes that the location, the location of every blade of grass out there by the road, right there, Shawnee Road, the location of every stone and the location of every blade of grass is as eternally determined by God as are his attributes. That not one molecule in the whole creation is a surprise to God and everything has happened exactly as he pleased, right? So the Calvinist and the Arminian fell down the stairs. Thump, 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 thump. <laughs> the Arminian gets up and says, Oh, man. Can't believe I did that. Calvinist falls down the stairs. Thump, 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 thump. Glad that's over with. 
But what if the Calvinist is wrong because God, who has all that power and could control everyone, could control everything, could do whatever he wants, chooses not to? What if he chooses to let you have choices? What if he restrains himself? What if what he most wants is not to get his way? What if the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who've never been alone, they've never been lonely because they've been in a love relationship forever. God's never been just God. He has always been a Father with a Son. Jesus has never been alone. He's always been swimming in the glory and the love of the Father. And the Spirit has always been the energizing power that expressed that mutual adoration and humble, no, you, no, you, no, you, 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 ah, explode, let there be. And what if the, the, the God we serve is so humble that the picture of him on the cross is not like a temporary revealing of what the Father was like only in one moment, but most of the time he just gets his way. But in that moment, he chose to be very humble, briefly, just for a second. What if God's eternally humble? What if he is the servant of all, all the time, and always has been, and always through history has been merciful and kind and the servant? What if the Old Testament is the story of the cross? What if the Old Testament is the story of the humble, merciful, kind, forgiving, gracious God who doesn't do what we deserve, but takes the pain into himself and absorbs it and lets it hurt him so that he can still redeem us? What if... Jesus is the point of all scripture. Jesus is the true and better of everything in your entire Bible. In the beginning, there was the, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the watery oceans, and God said, let there be. And so there you have the Father, the Spirit, hovering, the Word creating, let there be, the Logos. And as you're going through the whole Bible, book by book, you see Jesus, pictures of Jesus ever. He's the Moses. He's the serpent. He's the rock. He's the lamb. He's the temple. He's the true sacrifice. He's the Boaz, you know, and like Job, he's the one who, who redeems and prays for his worthless uh, persecutors and ends up saving them. And like Joseph, when betrayed by his brothers, he's the one who actually saves the whole world through what they intended for evil, his stupid brothers who didn't understand him. That's us. Hi. He's the true and better everything you've seen in your Bible. He's the point and purpose of every scripture. He's the desire of every heart you've ever met. And he's the true image that we all intuit, which is why people have an ethical imperative. He's the superlative expression of what people who don't even believe they believe anything believe. He's what they want. He's the love each one of us longs for. And again, going back to my buddy Augustine. Our hearts are restless until they find our rest in you. Why? Because you made us for yourself. And when we see him, instead of going, I guess I have to go to church, we go, I can't believe I get to go to the Father. Go ahead and stand. What do you got, Stan? Um, uh, If there's anybody with a physical vision problem in here, I want to pray for that. And also a vision of how the father sees you like like if like if there's a struggle with how he sees you and um anybody that has uh, arthritis pain in their in their uh left knee and um and uh um uh sharp pain in your your right calf so um that's what the lord was giving me father release over this this house of praise 
uh, an appreciation for Scripture and truth. We thank you, God, for the movement of the Spirit, but we ask, God, that there would be the counterbalance of structure, that there would be the counterbalance of, of orthodoxy. The great danger of us charismatics is that we run after our experiences and run out of the, the riverbed, the proper riverbed. And so we ask God for there to be the health of structure so that the river is directed and actually has more flow, more pace, more spread, that it irrigates. I was looking at the pictures of the Nile, and it's green everywhere that Nile goes throughout the entire, like it's crazy, crazy. Where the, everywhere the river flows, green life flows. So we pray in Jesus' name that the life of Jesus in the lives of these, these families, these people, would continue to, to be directed by you, and then you actually are in some ways directed by them. Strange. Strange. But we bless the house of praise for all people. In Jesus' name, a rich legacy, a rich heritage. We honor you, Jesus. We delight in you, Jesus. I ask that if there was anything I said that was helpful today, uh, it would stick in people's memory. And if there was anything I said that was extremely unhelpful, that it would just evaporate. Amen. God's people said... Now go ahead and come on up. We want to pray for you.